0: Genesis 27, verse 1. Now it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older son Esau and said to him, my son? And he said to him, here I am. Isaac said, behold, now I am old and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare a savory dish for me such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat it so that my soul may bless you before I die. Well, Rebecca was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau saying bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me so that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you, go now to the flock and bring me two choice young goats from there that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. And then you shall bring it to your father that he may eat, so that he may bless you before his death. Jacob answered his mother, saying, Rebecca, saying, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I'm a smoothie. Perhaps my father will feel me and then I will be as a deceiver in his sight and I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother and his mother made, a, made savory foods such as his father loved. Then Rebecca took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house and put them on Jacob, her younger son and she put the skins of the young goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck and she gave the savory food and the bread which she had made to her son Jacob and then she came to his father and he came to his father and said my father and he said here i am who are you my son jacob said to his father i am esau your firstborn i have done as you have told me get up please sit eat of my game that you may bless me And Isaac said to his son, how is it you've done it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God has caused it to happen to me. And then Isaac said to Jacob, please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him and he said to him, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. So he said, bring to me and I will eat of my son's game that I may bless you. And he brought it to him and he ate and he also brought him wine and he drank. Father, this story is comical if not so tragic. And I just pray that you'd help us see through these people, Lord, through this circumstance, what your desire is, that we might see and understand and know your will. And we invite you, Holy Spirit to teach us, to train us, to equip us, to encourage and to convict, to comfort and build up your people, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's not always that I can simply just read some scripture and people are already laughing. And there is a quizzical nature to this story. As we see it unfold before us, it's just, it's, it's remarkable. It's another reason why I love the word of God so much is it's so real and deals with real things and real behaviors, real actions, things that we might try to pull off well, this is an interesting story, and there is much here for us. Um, before we get going, I-, I wanted to share something with you, say something that I- I've said before, I've-, I've talked about before, not a lot, because it's, it's not something that I focus on, but um, I've told you before that I was born with a severe cleft lip and cleft palate, which I find incredibly ironic because I spend my life talking, <laughs> <laughs> My upper lip, my gum, my palate were not formed in the womb and so when I was born, uh, I I I had no lip and it was just open going back and um, so I I dealt with all those things. I I was blessed with, I think, amazing doctors over the years. You can disagree, but I think they were amazing. Hospitals (laughs) (laughs) and surgeries were a way of life for me. In my first 21 years, I had 21 surgeries. So I spent a lot of time in the hospital growing up, in and out, and going to doctors and visits, and it rarely ever bothered me. In fact, even today, I, I will joke about it from time to time. Um, I'll sing Rock of Ages, Cleft for Rick. <laughs> Give me back my upper lip. That's a favorite around my house. But when I was young, when I was young, this, this defect being front and center on my face as a child going to school, dealing with friends in the neighborhood, it affected my relationships in substantial ways. I I don't think I really understood at the time. I really only began to see later in life. I I, I began to realize what I would do to try and help my young friends get beyond the scars or the puffiness or or the stitches at, at the time that were right there front and center, had to help them get past it, you know, and and it really was an attitude that I developed as a child, and so I joked a lot. (laughs) A lot of the fact that I joke today, I think, comes right from that, but I just, because laughter helps people relax and and get over things, and so I I was a joker as a kid, and I developed what my brother would call a blazing external extroversion. I never saw it as blazing, but he, he thought so. But I did it just to make friends, and and to, again, to help my my friends in the neighborhood just get over or get beyond. See that it was okay that we could laugh together, that we could be normal, and they wouldn't have to focus in on on the face. you know. And kids do that. Even today, little kids will come up to me, and this is after 21 surgeries in 21 years, they'll still come up and go, what happened to your face? (laughs) And I'll say, what happened to yours? No, typically I'll just say shark bite, but. <laughs> but I tell you about that for, for one reason, and, and the older you get, you know, the, more, the more you realize that there, there is a way of knowing each other, personally and genuinely and intimately, that launches us beyond physical appearance. That once we start into a relationship and spend a little bit of time together in a relationship, ultimately we stop looking at each other physically. We just don't really see that anymore. You know, we'll go home, look in the mirror, and go, oh, how long was that in my nose? But other people <laughs> probably haven't noticed. We, we, we tend to start to see each other by heart. And one of my favorite verses, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.16, from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. That is to say, not that we don't see Jesus and so we have to know him differently, but we know him more personally, more intimately, more genuinely because we know him by heart, not just by what the eyes see. He goes on and says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature the old things passed away behold new things have come and that is a way to live in real relationships you know in genuine intimacy in christ especially because walking together in jesus has so little to do with the flesh it's realized in the spirit it's realized in the heart you know to be to be known and to know spiritually rather than carnally so much better, and I think that's what every human heart truly longs for, to be known for who we really are, and going back to my childhood, I remember as a kid going, I'm not a bunch of scars, I'm not this. That's not who I am, and we know this. People will see, they'll make judgments. for say, wait, that's, that's not who I am. This is who I am. Get to know me for who I am. Without games, Without pretense, no makeup, no masks, no disguises. Jesus said in John 10:14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13:12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully and get this, just as I also have been fully known. Man, that's relationship. That's that's the kind of intimacy I wanna be a part of. Well, we come this morning to a story of disguise and deceit, uh, of commandeering and corruption, a story in which every player functions in the flesh. Four main individuals in this story and they all function in the flesh And it's a story in which things may not be as they seem on the surface. They may not be what we have thought. Jacob is certainly not the man we may have thought he was. We talked about that last week, Genesis 25, 27, that says, when the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a peaceful man, living in tents. Peaceful, however, like Noah. Peaceful like Job, he's Tamim, that Hebrew word, peaceful, blameless is how it's translated in other places. We saw Wednesday night how God used the same word in his fifth visit with Abraham. Genesis 17, one, he said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. So when it says Jacob was a peaceful man, same word. Be blameless, be a blameless man. When God says, I want you to be blameless, what he's saying in essence is, I want you to be at peace with me. I want you to set your heart on me. And I said before that that's the key to peace of mind and peace of heart, blamelessness, not perfection because you're not gonna get there in this life, but to be right with God, to have a heart that is set on God is what brings peace of mind. Isaiah 57, 21 says, there is no peace says my God, for the wicked. How true is that? I have the least peace in my life when I am at odds with God. When I'm in contention with him, when I'm in rebellion, that's when peace flies away. But Romans 5.1 says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where peace is found. So I don't see Jacob, the peaceful man, the way I used to, either as a smoothie <laughs> soft and you know untested and inside guy i don 't see him that way anymore i don 't see him either as the wily conniver of that old misinformed label he didn 't swindle he didn 't scam, he did not sucker his brother Esau out of the birthright. The Bible makes that clear for us if you look back again and. Chapter 25, verse 31, it says, Jacob said, first sell me your birthright. And Esau said, behold, I'm about to die. What use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, first swear to me. And so he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus, the Bible tells us, thus, here's the bottom line, Esau despised his birthright. That's the story. That's the issue. Well, years have gone by, and in chapter 27, the twins are 77. Isaac, at this point, is 137 years old. Well, how do we know that? Well, I put the verses up there for you. Genesis 30, verse 25, all the way down through Genesis 47, verse nine. Yep, they're all up there. And see how far we've already moved in the verses this morning? For those of you who are tracking, based on how many verses (laughs) have I got you fooled today? (laughs) But those verses, if you wanna go back and look, if you do a comparative study with those verses, you come out to the age of 137 right here. That's how we know how old he was. He's old, he's blind, and Isaac calls Esau in. Again, it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see, that he called his older son Esau and said to him, "My son." And he said, "Here I am." And I find it very interesting that the Bible, that Torah here, calls Esau Benehagadol rather than Berekor. In the English, he is called older son, not firstborn. And that's a very clear, uh, a clear distinction that the scriptures make, he called his older son Esau. Because remember, the birthright had already been sold. The birthright belongs to Jacob. You've got to know that going into this story or other things will not make sense. Jacob owns the birthright by right of sale. So he calls his older son, the Bible says, recognizing the legitimacy of the sale of the birthright in chapter 25 and in verse two, Isaac said, behold now, I am old and I do not know the day of my death. Well, he's gonna live another 43 years. (laughs) Now then, please take your gear, your quiver, your bow. Go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare a savory dish for me such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat it so that my soul may bless you before I die. Old blind Isaac. Getting ready to bless Esau. And remember why Isaac loved Esau? He had a taste for game. That's the defining factor in this relationship. Talk about the flesh. Back in chapter 25, verse 28, he had game in his mouth is the literal translation, so apparently he wants more game. Go fix me a good steak. Also tells us that apparently Isaac still has teeth, so that's that's good. Listen, Isaac's a believer, okay? He's a man of faith. We've already seen this in his life. He has learned to trust in the Lord. He has had at least two visitations with the Lord, but this man of faith, this believer in God, has got meat in his mouth, flesh and spirit, are still fighting the civil war with this 137 year old man. And as we talked about last week, it's not an issue for the non-believer, it is an issue for the believer. The non-believer does not have the battle of flesh and spirit, the believer does. Because you enter into now a new relationship and a spiritual awareness and a spiritual desire and so the two will battle against each other and right now in the life of Isaac, flesh is winning. I call this, and I'll give you four things. We're gonna look at all four people. So number one, Isaac's violation. Isaac's violation. He is about to bless Esau as the firstborn heir to the birthright. And he is in violation. It doesn't belong to Esau. The blessing belongs to the son of the birthright. And again, the birthright that was bought and paid for but also given by divine revelation. Back in chapter 25, verse 23, the Lord said to Rebekah, two nations are in your womb and two peoples will be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. God established this is the deal. This is what's gonna happen. By divine revelation, we now understand that Jacob is to rise to the firstborn position, though he came out the womb second. He's the firstborn. He is now the one who has the birthright. God prophesied it. And therefore, the patriarchal blessing should go that direction as well. You might say, well, yeah, Rebecca's the one who heard it. You think she failed to tell Isaac? You think Isaac didn't know? I mean, it's highly unlikely that Isaac wouldn't be fully aware that God said, that God prophesied, that the word came, that the older would serve the younger, and I think it will become even more clear that he knew, he knew full well. But 78 years have gone by since the birth of the boys, or since at least the revelation. Isaac, at this point, has either conveniently forgotten that prophecy, or he has intentionally ignored the word of God. Ever do that? You conveniently forget or or ignore? I know what his word says, but I don't like it. I know what he instructs, but that's different than what I wanna do, so I dismiss it, or I try not to think about it. We are so good at that. I just I compartmentalize the word of God. I compartmentalize faith for a moment. Set it over here in this section so that I can do what I want to do because what God says to do is different. It's there, it's there all the time, and we know it's there. James 4:17 says to the one who knows the right thing to do and does it not, to him it is sin. You know it's there, you know what his word says. I'm telling you this morning, Isaac knew. Isaac knew exactly what he was doing. God knows the heart and God in knowing the heart and in that intimate awareness of what's really going on, not the disguise, not the mask, not what we present, but what's really going on behind the scenes, God knows and he's not into playing games. We're very good at games. Isaac here is in direct violation of the divine revelation of God. Rebecca knew this. She knew this firsthand. So, like Sarah before her, she takes things into her own hand. Number two, Rebecca's instigation. Verse five Rebecca was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So, when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, listen to me. As I command you, go now to the flock and bring me two choice young goats from there that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves, and then you shall bring it to your father that he may eat so that he may bless you before his death. Rebecca knows the promise, She knows the older shall serve the younger. But Rebecca decides the Lord needs a little help to pull this one off. She she knows what he said, and the direction of things seems to be other than what she has heard from the Lord. Therefore, we gotta do something, right? And once again, isn't that just like us? We gotta do something, because God said it. And if God said it and it fails, well, we can't have that. So we have to step in and give the Lord a little help because clearly there are a few loose ends here. Clearly, God is not capable of doing what he said he would do. Wow, it's amazing. Now, her name's Rebecca, Ribka, which many of you know now means to ensnare, which is exactly what she does. She sets a little trap for her husband, Because God needs her help. So she thinks. Verse 11, Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. The word hairy there is Sair, Sair as in Mount Seir. So if you look at a Bible map, you know that there's the area called Edom, and in Edom is Mount Seir. Seir means hairy. Edom means red, and so both those names come from Esau, Mount Seir, in Edom. Perhaps my father will feel me, he said, that I will be as a deceiver in his sight, and I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. Deceiver there, note this, the word isn't deceiver, the word is mocker. And Jacob's afraid that if I go in there and do this and he knows it's me, he's gonna think I'm mocking him. Jacob's not thinking about the deception, He's thinking about, I don't want dad to think that I'm undermining, making fun of, making light of of this blessing. But his mother said to him, your curse be on me. I got this. This is my call. Your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. So he went and got them, brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory food such as his father loved Rebekah then took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house, put them on Jacob, her younger son. She put the skins of young goats on his hands and the smooth part of his neck, also gave the savory food and the bread which she had made to her son Jacob. So who's the schemer in the story? Who's the conniver? It's not Jacob, it's Rebekah. And she's the one instigating the whole thing. And my friends, again, this is a clear lapse of faith. This is flesh winning out over spirit because Rebecca is taking matters into her own hands. She's commandeering the divine promise which she heard directly from God in her pregnancy, and a mother never forgets. And she's got to make it happen. What would have happened if Rebecca had just allowed things to play out? What would have happened if she had allowed God to work things out his way at the right time. And the truth is, we will never know. And that's the tragedy of sidestepping faith. When we take hold of, when we try and force our hands, when we in the flesh hijack the holy hands of providence, we will miss seeing God at work. We will miss seeing God do what God does. When we take it on ourselves, we don't get to see him doing what he was going to. Faith takes a hit. In fact, faith takes a hit because we actually think we might have pulled it off. Look at what we did. Look at what we accomplished. Boy, I'm so proud of myself for having worked all this out. And we become wily just like Rebecca. Jesus said in John chapter five, verse 19, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. The Lord showed Rebecca what he was going to do declared to her what the end game would be. And she steps in now and instigates her own hands into the mix. And and now, how would God have done it? What would the story have been like had she just stepped back and said, the Lord said, the older will serve the younger. And again, we won't know. And again, we rob from ourselves the opportunity for faith to surge because we see now God doing his work. Like the son, I don't do it unless I see the father doing it. If God's doing it, I'm gonna join him in it. If God's about it, I wanna be about it. But so much in our lives, we say, I'm about this. Come on, Lord, join me. Be a part of what I'm doing. Do you realize that the miracles of Jesus himself, God in the flesh, the miracles of Jesus happened because Jesus was in perfect alignment with the Father. Showing us, yes, yes, he came as God in the flesh, but showed us in the flesh what it means to abdicate will to God, to trust fully in him, to let him take the lead in all things. And as the Lord God moved, so Jesus moved. And listen to this, Jesus also said in John fourteen twelve, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater than these he will do because I go to the Father. Why don't we see greater works as Christians in 2020? Why don't we see bigger miracles, more expansive things happening to the glory of God on the face of the earth? And it's because I think we're trying too hard to make it happen to instigate it in our own hands instead of just getting out of the way and believing what the Father's doing, trusting that he has things well in hand. Back in the story, Rebecca, she works all the senses. Right, she, She's working on taste. She makes the savory food. She, she works on smell, having Jacob dress in Esau's earthy wear. Can't even imagine what that smelled like pungent. Anyway, she, she works on touch with putting the hairy goatskin so that all these senses would be touched. And Isaac's already blind, so it's easy to pull the wool over his eyes. <laughs> She's working all the senses. There was only one sense that Rebecca could not disguise, and that was hearing. And so Isaac is immediately suspicious. Look at verse 18. Then he came to his father, that is Jacob, and said, my father. And he said to him, here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you have told me. Get up, please, sit and eat of my game that you may bless me. So we've got Isaac's violation. We've got Rebekah's instigation. And now we come, number three, to Jacob's deception, but it's important that we clarify Jacob's sin here. What is really going on? He does sin, but he's not stealing the blessing. That is not the sin. We talk all the time about the stealing of the blessing. Jacob is not stealing the blessing that already belongs to him. The sin is he's lying to his father. The sin is he steps into the position of deceit. And this is line number one. He says, I am Esau, your firstborn. But I gotta point this out, and it's a very subtle point, but it's very interesting to me that when he says in verse 19, I am Esau, your firstborn, there are two ways of saying I I am or I in the Hebrew. One is ani, ani, which is, the normal word that you would use if I said I'm Rick, it would be ani Rick. Uh, I'm Rick. That's what you would typically use. That's that's good grammatical Hebrew. Ani emphasizes the name of the person. I am Rick. Ani. But that's not the word he uses. Jacob uses the word anoki, and anoki. Emphasizes what we would call the pronominal subject. Now, I don't want to get all weird in the language here, but, but get this. Anoki emphasizes not Esau in verse 19, but firstborn in verse 19. Jacob knows what he's saying, and, and it becomes obvious that, that he's connecting himself, I, with firstborn, not with Esau. He knows that there's a deception going on here. He's trying to downplay it as much as possible, connecting himself to the firstborn, distancing himself, if he can, from this deception because again, he really is the firstborn based on God's promise, based on the birthright, and I think think Jacob's trying not to lie, trying to get around the lie. I understand it's subtle, but so is deception. And we do that, we parse our words to sidestep something that we know to be untrue. Did you take the last cookie? No, it's still here in my belly. Did you take it? No, it's still in the house. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, 37, let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Just be honest, just be straightforward, and you don't have to worry about grammar. (laughs) (laughs) But Jacob chooses a word that you would not use here when he says anoki, again, connecting himself to firstborn. It's still a lie. Second lie, verse 20. Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have done it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. (laughs) Okay. Jacob uses God to bolster his lie. God made it happen. God took care of it. The Lord's in this. This is cautionary to me. Brothers and sisters, please be careful of the Christianese way of saying the Lord did this or the Lord said that or the Lord told me. I believe God does speak to us, I believe he does confirm to us, I believe he does indicate things to us, but we have this way of saying God said when God didn't say. Why do we do that? Because it bolsters our faith. Well, not so much our faith, it bolsters what we're saying. I know if I'm sitting in a shepherd's meeting and I say, bros, the Lord told me that I'm supposed to have a 72% raise, what are they gonna say? Ask yourself when you're about to say God said, did God say? Are you sure? If you know us, the Lord, by all means. But God didn't say this. God didn't tell Jacob this. But in saying the Lord, and note note he says the Lord your God. (laughs) He doesn't say the Lord my God. There's still distance going on here. The Lord your God made it happen. What could Isaac say? Oh, well, if the Lord's in it, And again, that's something we do, I think, far too easily in the church. If you do it, you may actually distance yourself from him. Well, verse 21, then Isaac said to Jacob, please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether or not you are really my son, Esau, or not. And so Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him, and he said, and this is just comical, the voice is the voice of Jacob. Hey, Dad! But the hands are the hands of Esau, this hairiness. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, verse 24, final lie, I am. And this time he says, ani. This time he just goes right to, yes, I'm Esau. He knows he's not. But I imagine here a long pause as Isaac considers, <laughs> and then <laughs> Jacob's holding his breath, and eventually what happens is the smell of the savory dish wafts up into Isaac's receptive nostrils. Bring it to me that I will eat of my son's game that I may bless you. And he brought it to him and he ate and he also brought him wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him and when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him. Note that, when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him. He said, see, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine, and boy, isn't Isaac focused on the physical. As the blessing begins to roll out, he launches into this threefold blessing. And the first part of the blessing that he states is agricultural prosperity. You know, the the field, the dew of the heaven, the fatness of the earth, the abundance of the grain and the new wine. May you just be blessed in all these things. Agricultural prosperity. And then secondly, he says, verse 29, may peoples serve you and nations bow down to you, be master of your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Second thing he says, positional birthright authority. He now confers. Isaac still blindly believes this is Esau which means he's in direct violation right here. I mean, even the wording that he uses, may your mother's sons bow down to you, and what was it that was said, that the older will serve the younger. So he's, he's going head to head now with what the Lord had declared, and even using the same kind of terminology, and what we see here is flesh is circumventing faith. The spirit is now set aside. By the way, what's the difference between the birthright and the blessing? Jacob bought the birthright. People love to say he stole the birthright and he stole the blessing. No, he bought the birthright and now he receives the blessing. Truly, there is a deception, but it's not a theft because the birthright comes by birth. The birthright is declared at birth, typically declared just because the firstborn is the firstborn. But in the case of Jacob and Esau, which we again always say is Jacob and Esau because Jacob is first. Though he came out second, God said he will be first. So the birthright was declared back then, comes by birth. The blessing comes now by paternal confirmation. So the blessing is supposed to be the father blessing the one who's called the firstborn. So if you have the birthright, you get the blessing. Unless you sell the birthright, in which case then the blessing goes to the owner of the birthright. And Isaac here, Isaac's messing it. He's messing the whole thing up. He's trying to rip off the birthright authority and hand it over to one who does not own the birthright. So agricultural prosperity, positional birthright authority, and finally we see, in why this is so important, covenantal continuity. Covenantal continuity, as he says, cursed be those who curse you, and blessed be those who Bless you. Isaac passes along now the Abrahamic covenant to his son, who he still thinks is Esau. Now it's not, it's Jacob, and it's going the way it's supposed to go, as God declared, but he thinks it's Esau. He's in violation. Rebekah's instigation, Jacob's deception, but there's one more player to consider here, and by the way, we're gonna come back and look a little more closely at the blessing on Wednesday night. But the fourth thing I want you to think about this morning is Esau's corruption, Esau's corruption. He returns from hunting, he brings this savory dish ready to receive his blessing. Verse 30, now it came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of of Isaac his father that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. So (laughs) this is a close call. It's like Jacob leaves one exit of the tent just as Esau's coming in. I mean, this is, the Bible even points that out. He'd hardly gone out. Well, then he also made savory food and brought it to his father, and he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. Esau didn't care about the birthright. He despised it, remember the Bible told us. He didn't care about the lineage. He didn't care about the covenant. He didn't care about the responsibility that came with the birthright. He despised it, but he still wants the blessing. Oh yeah, yeah, I'll take the blessing. We always want the blessing. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, it says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. He didn't seek for repentance with tears, he sought for the blessing with tears. He becomes incredibly upset because the blessing will not be given to him. What's re- listen, what's really going on here isn't Jacob stealing the blessing from Esau, it is Esau angling to steal it back from Jacob to take what is not now his because the birthright and the subsequent, subsequent blessing both belong to Jacob. They are his. By divine providence, but also, as we saw, by contractual agreement. So in two ways, this birthright is Jacob's, therefore the blessing is Jacob's, and the fact that Esau would even come and try to receive it at this point is theft on his part. He's the one who's acting corruptly. And verse 32 then Isaac trembled violently and said, who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate all of it before you came and blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. My friends, that's the key verse of the whole story. This is, this is what I would call the climax moment. Isaac Trembles. The Bible says literally he trembled with a great trembling exceedingly. He just starts to shake. Why is he shaking? It's not in anger. Isaac is shaking in fear as he declares, Yes, and he shall be blessed. Because faith comes rushing back into Isaac's heart. Yes, and he shall be blessed as he believes again and realizes all along that's what was supposed to happen. That's what was declared, yes, and he shall be blessed as he trembles in fear before the providence of God beyond his own control. Yes, and he shall be blessed. You might say, how do we know? How do we know that faith entered Isaac's heart in this moment? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau even regarding things to come. In this moment, it is faith. Yes, and he shall be blessed. Now, he's going to bless Esau. It's a dark, foreboding blessing. It's not a birthright blessing. He will still give something in terms of a spoken blessing to Esau. But Isaac here recognizes the scope of what has happened, that the inexorable prophetic word of God has come true, that he couldn't change it, he couldn't stop it. Kidner says he knows he has been fighting against God as Esau has, and Isaac accepts defeat. Yes, and he shall be blessed. For the Bible says the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable when God says it. No matter how we mess with it, he will bring it about. It will happen. But Esau, for his part, lets out a mournful wail. Verse 34, when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. He said, bless me, me also, oh, my father. And he said, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. And he said, is he right, not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. No, he didn't, you despised it. And behold, now he has taken away my blessing. No, he hasn't, it was his. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac replied to Esau, behold, I have made him your master and all his relatives I have given to him as servants. And with grain and new wine I have sustained him. Now as for you then, what can I do, my son? And Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, oh my father. And Esau lifted his voice and wept. And what follows then is the blessing so called of Isaac for Esau. And we're gonna get into that and the fallout of all this mess on Wednesday night, but I want you to consider just two things here this morning. First of all, why did Esau even care? He didn't care beans for the birthright. He sold that because he was famished, he was dying of hunger, so whatever, what use is that to me, he said. But the blessing? the blessing, the double portion of the estate, the inheritance. I think he wanted that. He just didn't want the responsibility that went with it. But I think there's one more thing here. If I can apply Esau's exceeding weeping, this is a father confirming his son, and we all want that. We all want our father's blessing. We all wanna hear dad say, I'm proud of you, good job, way to go, bless you. That, that sense that dad is pleased with us, that dad desires good for us, and this is one of the greatest reasons for adult problems and issues today, is the break in the father's blessing the lack of a father's blessing, the pain of parental disappointment, that he did not do what I needed him to do, what my heart was hardwired for him to do. Brothers and sisters, we are all hardwired to receive a father's blessing, we need it. Our culture's gone so far from it, we don't even do that. But I I still recall, it still warms my heart to think of moments in my childhood when my dad did say, I'm proud of you, son. And not because I made him some meaty meal. When he said, I'm proud of you, and I could tell it was just because he was proud of me. Looking right beyond scars to my heart because my dad knew my heart. I'm proud of you. To this day, I can recall that. And it brings confidence. And I know, I know that so often that is lacking. How often did Jesus hear his father say, Matthew 3, 17, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Before Jesus had done anything, God blessed him. God was proud of him. Matthew 17, five, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Behold, a voice out of the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. We always apply that as God saying to Peter, you better pay attention to Jesus. But at the same time, the father's encouraging the son who's facing the cross, who's on his way to Calvary. This is my beloved son proud of you, son, and I know that this is painful to address for some this morning. I know for some of you, and I'm not trying to call anybody out, but I know in this gathered assembly that there are those who will say, my father never blessed me. There are some who would say, oh, it was just the opposite. There are some who, when you think about this whole idea of a father, Blessing you and the lack of it in your life, that your reaction is, I don't even know what that's like. And so, to you this morning, I declare God's hand as your father is outstretched to bless you. You have a father. You have a father unlike any of our human fathers, unlike myself as a father. Man, I had a bad night. I gotta go off note just for a second. I got onto David last night. I hate getting onto David, because he is so sweet. He's just a sweet kid. But he's downstairs in his room, which is right underneath my room, and I'm up there in bed, and we're down to the last two minutes of Heartland, the show that we're watching. We're out on the little horse farm. I'm just at peace. And Dave is down there, and it's 1028, and he's waiting for me to come down and turn off his light, And we just built bunk beds down there in the room right below ours, so his top bunk that he's lying in is right underneath me. (laughs) And so David goes, (laughs) I heard it, first, I knew. I look at my watch, I'm supposed to go down and turn off his light. Cheryl goes, you're gonna go down like two minutes. I'm on a horse ranch in Canada right now. I'm at peace. So we watch about 30 seconds go by. Are you gonna go down, honey? I'll go down when I'm ready. Amy, ride the horse, you know. So down the stairs I go. In fact, what I did before I went down the stairs was I got out of bed and I went. That's right. Who the boss? Right here. It's funny because the, the bumps on the ceiling Stopped. I go downstairs, and, and I'm walking out the door. Cheryl just knows me so well. I'm walking out the door, and she goes, go easy on him. <laughs> and I go down the stairs, get into the room, open the door. I go up and look in his bed. I can't even see him, because now he's on the far end of the bunk, <laughs> curled up against the wall, knowing the wrath has come, you know? And, and I, was, I was frustrated. I'm like, we're not gonna do this. We are not gonna do this. That's my room. That is my sanctuary. <laughs> you do not under, interrupt my sanctuary. <sighs> Go to sleep, okay, Dad. Good night. Good night. <laughs> Click. I'm off. You know, I haven't seen him since then. <laughs> I don't even know if he's in the house. I don't know. And I laid there all night, going. <sighs> All he wanted was dad to come down and bless him. Good night, son, click, that's all he wanted. You know what? If you had a dad mess it up, first of all, raise your hand. (laughs) Because it's every one of us. Your hand's still down. You're lying to me right now. You're pulling a full-on deception. You're trying to say, I know key hey, we've all had our dads mess it up. We've all had them do the wrong thing, fly off the handle, lose their temper or, or act wrongly when they should. We've all seen, and so many of us, if you've ever been a dad, you know, man, that's tough to navigate because I'm gonna do it again. You know, I, I've said we have three new children. You know, We adopted three children who, who came secondarily, so we got to kind of start over And I'm not making any of the old mistakes that I made. I'm making all new ones. (laughs) And I, I think that's the point. God knows. God made you, God made me to need our Father's blessing knowing that our Father was gonna mess it up. Why would he do that? Because you only have one Father. And your Father has his hand stretched out to you right now saying, I wanna bless you. I am proud of you. And not because of what you've done. I just love you. I made you. I gave you this life. I'm so glad you're here this morning. And with hand outstretched, Proverbs 10, it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and he adds no sorrow to it. <laughs> or you could also translate that, toil adds nothing to it. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. He just wants to give it. Romans eight fifteen, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. You've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, and sons is everyone. Sons is male and female here. Sons is positional. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, and so as sons, we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, we are heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him, and so this morning, the blessing awaits you Take hold of it by faith. Receive the blessing of God your father by trusting him. He is not Isaac. Now some final thoughts here. We've seen Isaac's violation. We've seen Rebecca's instigation, Jacob's deception, and even Esau's corruption. But the heart of this story is that it is a story of the heart. That with all four of these people, Esau, Esau comes along, man, he wanted to get blessed. Who cares about the birthright? Just bless me. And how many people are that way? I don't care about God. I don't care about his will or what pleases him. I just want the blessings. I just want to be blessed, and I'm good to go, Let me ask you this morning, is that you? Are you just here to get blessed? Because you want the blessing, you just don't want the birthright? You want the blessing, you just don't want the responsibility? You want the blessing, you just don't wanna have to care for the family? I think what God is calling his children to is a a care, a compassion, a concern, and a love for the household of God. Yes, the blessing is yours without doing anything, but the birthright is also yours. Mine, to be responsible for each other, to care enough about each other that as heirs with the son, we care for the household. The birthright calls for that, not for the sake of the siblings who we might have contentions with on occasion, but for the sake of the father who gives us the birthright and the blessing. Jacob trying to secure the birthright, actually had the birthright, trying to secure the blessing of the birthright that was already his. By prophecy and by purchase. Is that you? Maybe you're pulling a Jacob. Even this morning, even now, that you're still trying to secure the blessing. You're still trying to get hold of a salvation that's already been purchased. It's already been prophesied. It's already yours. And this is where a lot of Christians go off the rails trying to earn what is already ours. And so we play games and we take on roles and we try to manipulate the system to look like we're worthy of our salvation, and we're not. God's just given it. So receive it and don't feel like you gotta play games to keep it. So maybe you're not like Esau, maybe you're not like Jacob, maybe you're like Rebecca launching a plot that would ensnare her own husband because she felt like she had to help God out because he couldn't do it on his own. Hey, listen to me. Get this really clearly. God doesn't need you, but he loves you. He doesn't need you, but he loves you. He doesn't require your hard work. He invites you to join him in his What did Jesus say? Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's When we do what we see the Father doing, when we join God in his work, it's not burdensome. It's a joy. Uh, Friday night, we had the, the mission soundbite. By the way, go to the next one. It was really cool. And we were talking about El Salvador and And Carrie Hoffman and and Hillary and and Lisa Adelot were sharing their experiences recently down in El Salvador. They'll be going again. We'll have opportunity if you want to join and go down there. It's really amazing what's happening. And and I'm, I'm sitting here listening to these ladies talk about the experience, the trip. It's hot down there, you know. And there was work to be done and there was painful stories that they learned and it obviously was emotional to them, but there was such joy in the telling, And I guarantee if you ask any one of those three, and Hillary, you're sitting right there, if you ask Hillary, was that a tough trip, she'd be like, I can't wait to go the next time. Am I right? Why? Because she joined the Father in what he was doing. Because Hillary didn't try to manipulate God into doing what she's doing here in her life. She saw something he was doing and got on board with that. I've told you before, the Bridge Christian Fellowship, easiest thing I've ever done in my life because it's fun. Not always, but mostly. (laughs) But but starting out and and launching into this whole thing that that God has so amazingly blessed. We just saw God was doing something, so we said, can we do that with you, Father? Can we yoke up with you, Jesus? And when you do, you realize, he does not need my help to pull this off. But he invites it. I think that's marvelous. Rebecca's, you need to learn that. And then finally, we've got, Isaac, and Isaac, listen, I think Isaac is the key player in the whole story. I said on Wednesday that chapter 26 is the only chapter that is specifically all about Isaac, and I'm starting to think 27 is too. You see, Isaac was trying to circumvent God's covenant will by blessing Esau instead of Jacob. And you know why he failed? Because flesh always fails. Flesh always fails. Always fails. Flesh will fail you. Your flesh is going to fail you. Those of you gym rats, guess what? Day's coming. (laughs) Day's coming when you, like me, will race up the stairs and at the top of the stairs go, (sighs) flesh fails. Isaac, to whom God had appeared at least twice, has now slid back into the flesh. He had a taste for game. He's a real meat mouth. And that was the entire basis for giving the blessing. Isaac wanted the meat. Look back at verse four. Prepare a savory dish for me such as I love. Bring it to me that I may eat it so that my soul may bless you before I die. What's the requirement? Steak. Give me some flesh and I'll bless you. And the flesh is taken over here and we see it even more succinctly in verse 17. Rebekah gave the savory food and bread which she had made to her son Jacob. He came to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am, who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up, please, sit, eat of my game that you may bless me. And Isaac was fooled by every sense except one. Hearing. The smells were the smells of savory food and of Esau. The the touch was the hairiness of Esau. Obviously, his eyes were blind, but hands, nose, taste buds. And the only one, listen, the only one of the five senses that brings about faith is hearing. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. You know what Isaac does? He rejected the voice that he heard with his own words. Why did he reject the voice? Why dismiss the obvious that the voice was Jacob and not Esau? Because Isaac was appraising his son by the flesh. He was smelling and touching and tasting, and so he was blinded to the deception. And that's what happens. Flesh feelings are easy deceivers. And that's why Paul said, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Our Father doesn't recognize us according to the flesh. He isn't put off by my scars, He isn't taken by musculature or skin tone or hairstyle or beauty or anything that the world says you've got to have to present yourself the right way, God's not interested. God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. First Samuel sixteen seven. Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau were all four guilty of functioning in the flesh rather than walking in the spirit. So what's it gonna be with you? Father, will you continue, Lord, to take us down this path? Lord, to teach us to stop appraising the world by the flesh, to stop trusting our senses in the flesh, to start hearing, and by hearing, believing. Give us the faith that comes spiritually, spiritually faith that comes by the truth of your word, faith that comes by the truth of your spirit. May we not look at each other according to the flesh anymore, but according to the spirit. And help us to view what you are doing spiritually. Lord Jesus, as you said, God is spirit. And you are calling us into such a greater experience of, of life now, but life eternal. Drawing us into what matters, into what is real and actual and authentic and true. And God, I pray for this, for all of us, this spiritual discernment. And Father, I ask for those, myself included, who have appraised things by the flesh. Lord, I think that's, that's the whole father issue. What some have called a father wound comes because we appraise ourselves by the flesh, because we want our father of the flesh to bless us, because we lack relationship with the father of the flesh. Father, I pray this morning that you would break that hold among us and we would receive the blessing of our heavenly father offered, free, given, simply waiting to be received. And I pray we would hear you, Lord. We would hear you with the one sense that really matters in all this and that faith would increase. In Jesus' name, amen.